Heavenly Father, as my Papa comes up to preach this morning, I pray that you would put your hand on him. I pray that the Spirit would be with him and that he would be preaching just exactly what you want him to say. And I know that he's prepared for you to speak this morning, Lord. Every week our pastor says that we don't want to hear from, from him. We don't want to be his words, but yours. And I just want to echo that to you this morning, Lord, as a congregation. We want to hear from you. Uh, we, we really want to hear from you, Lord, and hear what you have to say in your word. And I just pray that you would be with my pop as he preaches this morning. I pray that we would uh, uh, just be open to hearing, Lord, as we, as we sit and as we listen, that our hearts would be softened and that you would just speak to us. And I pray that we would worship you and that would be all done for your will and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 It's all yours. Pastor, uh, what you're about to hear is not what we talked about. Uh, I wasn't fibbing to you. I was going to do what we talked about, but uh, God says otherwise. So uh, here goes. That was just my little, he's going to check up on us and he'll be listening to this. So I want to, we had talked about another scripture and as I indicated to him just now, God has redirected, as he does most of the time with me. Uh, some time ago, a, a, lot, a fairly long time ago, um, I was really feeling empty and Almost abandoned. Uh, you know, I, my prayers weren't going anywhere, and uh, it didn't seem like they were. And it was about oh five thirty, five five thirty in the morning. It was dark. I was in my recliner, trying to seek God, trying to find God, trying to get some, trying to reach the Lord. And I had this Bible. This one here, and I opened it, and it fell to this psalm. And uh, I cannot explain, I can't describe the feeling that came over me when I read the 103rd psalm. And so I would like to spend a few minutes uh, with the 103rd psalm this morning. Um, I'll read a few verses and then we'll talk about them. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments 
for all who are oppressed. Now, I'm going to stop reading there. We'll, we'll talk about the rest of the verses as we go. But um, this first section is kind of a, a call to an internal call to worship. Uh, it's obviously the whole thing is a, is, is a call to worship. And really, when you look at it, it has uh, three parts. And as I said, this one begins with an internal call to worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's where the worship starts. And by the way, there's no organ playing here and there's no, no leadership. There's, this is simply a heart worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's the general uh, command. And it's followed by this statement in verse 1. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now, this is basically like loving the Lord with all your heart and your soul and your strength and mind and so forth. It's a heart erupting in eternal gratitude to God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Then it gets specific in the next verse. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Is that me? Oh, bless the Lord. What have I done? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. That's a command to my soul uh, to note every benefit from God. Merlin was alluding to that uh, earlier. Every benefit to catalog, every grace, every mercy, every act. Every provision, every protection, uh, every kindness, uh, every expression of love, forget none of his benefits. So, suggesting that's maybe how we ought to live our lives with a constant cataloging and recitation of the Lord's benefits. I don't know about you, but I'm way behind on that. I'm really behind. Forgetting God's benefits is fleshly, and forgetting is sinful. Uh, living life, cataloging all his benefits will bring joy into my life and into those uh, around me. He gives us at least, to start with, a list of these benefits in verse 3 who pardons all your iniquities. Now, that's a stunning statement, who pardons all your iniquities. It's really a gospel statement. The gospel, the good news, God forgives all our iniquities. That's the good news. They're not talking about a happy life. It's not talking about getting what I want. It's good news about the forgiveness of sin by which you and I escape hell and enter heaven. And then he heals all our diseases. Now, some folks have said that this means physical diseases. Um, I don't think so because it's a parallel uh, to that statement, he forgives all your iniquities. Whatever healing all your diseases means... It has to be as comprehensive as 
the forgiveness of your iniquities. What he's talking about here is a healing of our spiritual diseases, I believe, the diseases of the soul, and we have some. The Lord forgives all our iniquities, and he heals all of the diseases of our soul. Pride, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, hatred, rebellion against him. Those are some of the things that he heals. Then in verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. He's talking about our salvation, our redemption. But connected to our redemption is our resurrection, right? Got to be. I belong to God who will lift me out of the grave sometime. This is a list of amazing benefits. Forgiveness of sin, healing of spiritual diseases, the redemption of life. That one day means that we'll all be lifted up out of the grave to eternal glory. And in the meantime, while we wait for that, verse 4 says, Bless the Lord who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. It's like a kind of a coronation. He crowns us with loving kindness. What is that? Well, the Hebrew word is kesed, loving kindness. It really means something like committed love. It means um, uh, covenant love. God makes covenant with those who put their trust in him, and he will never break that covenant. Right, uh, loving kindness. Loving kindness describes the relationship, and compassion describes the action of that relationship. Loving kindness and compassion. That's the emotional side of God's Favor. God not only loves us with a committed love, but he loves us emotionally. He loves us with emotion. He loves us so that he comes down and cares for us. Verse 5. He also satisfies your years with good things. The sanctified... Blessed life is the satisfied life. As a result, verse 5 says, Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The satisfied life is a wholesome life. It's strong. It's nourished. It flourishes, the satisfied life. So, this first call to worship in this psalm is internal. Speaking to my own heart. And thanking him and praising him for all that he's given to me. I don't have time for foolish things when I'm praying anymore. I want to be real and honest. So, the next call to worship is external. And it starts in verse 6. 
the psalmist goes beyond speaking to his own heart, and he speaks of what God does for everyone who comes to him. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. You ever feel like you're oppressed? I do a lot. And the Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for us. Then starting in verse 8, he gives all of us more reasons to bless the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, abounding in that kesed, that steadfast love. Amazingly, verse 9 says, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. What that means is, he will not perpetually find fault with us. Now, for me, that's good news. He will not perpetually find fault with me. He will not keep on bearing a grudge forever against us. In fact, verse 10, one of the most precious verses that can be found in Scripture, he has not dealt with us according to our sins. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. That's plenty of reason to bless the Lord. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, not rewarded us according to our iniquities. If he did that, we'd all be in hell if he had done that. He hasn't done that. He has put our sins and our iniquities on Christ. So as Christians who belong to the Lord, we still, have got, we still have sins. But even now, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Our sins are many. His judgments are few. Our sins are heavy. His discipline is light. We're weak. But he's not crushed us. Our sins have been continual and persistent. His blows are occasional and slight. Our guilt is heinous and provocative. His forgiveness is patient and merciful. John Calvin said once, he wonderfully blesses those he might justly destroy. God does that. His loving kindness, his covenant love, his committed love, his complete forgiveness of all of our sins is so staggering and so vast that it can only be explained by two illustrations of infinity in this uh, psalm. By the way, these are two of the most perfect illustrations of infinity anywhere in the human language, and it should be because the Holy Spirit is the author. Look at verse 11. Here's the first illustration of infinity. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his covenant love toward those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the earth. How high is that? How high is that? Well, NASA came out not too long ago with a statistic that tells us that uh, 
They think they know where the edge of the universe is. And they suggest this. If we were able to go 186,000 miles per second, see, 1,001, that's a second, going 186,000 miles in that period of time, the speed of light, we would reach the end of the universe in 225 trillion years. That's how the, the heavens are. And it has, that's infinity. That's staggering. God wants to illustrate his love for us in this infinite way. And he does it with another perfect illustration of infinity. As far as the east is from the west. So far as he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Well, that's infinity also. You take a line and... If that's, I don't know what that's west, let's pretend that's west. And that line goes out there, and you've got another line going this way to east, and those two lines will never, ever meet. If they go into infinity. That's how far God has removed my sin from me, and it's yours too. Remove them from us as far, that far. Infinity. This kind of forgiveness takes our sins into infinity. Our ingratitude and my stubborn sinfulness would exhaust, really, would exhaust the patience of anyone except the one who loves us to infinity and forgives us to infinity. No wonder Micah says in the seventh chapter, the 18th, 19th verse, who is a pardoning God like you? Where can one be found? Why such love? Why such infinite forgiveness? Verse 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He loves us like this because he is our father. He has compassion on us as a father has compassion on his children. Verse 14, I love this. He knows my frame. He knows our human structure. He's mindful that we started out as dust, and we're going to go back to dust. He understands that. He knows the feebleness of my will. He knows how feeble my will is. He knows the strength of my sinful impulses. He knows the violence of my, my own selfishness. He knows the readiness. He knows how ready I am to be disobedient. He knows that. He knows my frame. He knows the, uh, how easily I am disrupted in my prayer life. He knows the fragile character of my joy. 
God knows all that. He knows, verse 15 says, that we're just like grass, like a flower of the field. We flourish. The wind passes over. It is no more. The place acknowledges it no longer. We're here and gone, and we are really feeble. We are really fragile. He is infinite. And we're this little pile of dust that blows away. He understands my meager strength, but he's not like us. He extends to us loving kindness. Says verse 17, that is from everlasting to everlasting, that loving kindness, from everlasting to everlasting. Another statement of infinity. He loves us from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Meaning, on from generation to generation. To watch these kids. And what a wonderful thing that's going on is it's being passed from generation to generation. Beautiful. As long as, as, long as God has existed, he has had covenant love for his people. That's right, yeah. It didn't start when we believed. There was never a moment in the mind of God that he didn't love his own. Never. In eternity past, before anything existed, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God had, before any of that, God had full covenant love toward those who had not even yet been created. From electing love to glorifying love, we are loved by God. We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We really were. He loved us in Christ before time began. And he will love us in Christ when time is over. The committed love of God for his people is as eternal as God is. There is no time with God. God doesn't learn anything. Ever. He doesn't come up on a new idea. God does not ever stumble on a new idea. He doesn't come up with new people to redeem. He has always loved his own as long as he has existed. God's love is passionate. God's love is emotional. It is parental, it is protective, it is vast, it's constant, it's omnipotent. God's love is infinite, it's active, it's beneficent. It is infinite to the point that it will never ever change. 
He has always loved you and me, and he will always love you and me. Who does he love? Those who worship him. True worshipers who manifest the truthfulness of their worship. By, verse 18, keeping his covenant and remembering his law or his precepts to do them. Those who are faithful and the obedient. We're saved by grace. We'll make no mistake about it. We are saved by grace. But our salvation is manifest by our obedience. That's the way it goes. That's really true. We can never hope. We can never hope to grasp the perfections of God. But we can and must unceasingly praise and worship and bless the Lord who has always everlastingly loved us. Now, listen. Nothing more clearly demonstrates our sin, or at least my sin, than the ease with which I forget such staggering love and blessing. Let me say that. Nothing more clearly demonstrates my sin than the ease with which I forget such staggering love and blessing. Well, in the 103rd Psalm, there's a final call to praise. It's an, they had the internal praise, an external praise, and now there's a universal call to praise in verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. There is a king far greater than David. There really is. Far greater than any other king. There's a king over all. It's the Lord. And since he's over all, the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, you his angels. They're part of the all. Holy angels, heavenly angels. Eternally righteous angels. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. And then in verse 21, he reaches beyond the angels, beyond the personal beings. He says, bless the Lord, all you his host. Well, what does that mean, all you his host? In Deuteronomy 4, 19, uh, it says, All the host of heaven, of the sun, the moon, the stars. So he's, he's literally calling on all the created universe, uh, even the inanimate elements of it, to praise the Lord. All creation is called to praise. So praise is first internal and then external, and then universal in this song. The crescendo is incredible. And he ends right back where he started, the psalmist. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Which is a way of saying, let it begin with me. Let it begin with me. 1974, there was a little fellow who was born in England. 
This little boy was born to a, a very dysfunctional family. They were really messed up. And his, his father committed suicide when he was seven. And he didn't find out about it until he was, uh, until he was 10. And left some really serious scars on him. His mother remarried, and this guy was no good. He was abusive. In fact, he wound up in prison for the abuse that he heaped on this family. A kid had a hard life in England. Sometime later in his youth, he went to a mission meeting there in England, and he heard the gospel and was converted to Christ. He was a good musician still is. And in wanting to celebrate what Christ had done in his life, he started writing songs. And then he came to Psalm 103. And he wrote a song on that psalm. The name of the song is 10,000 reasons. And that little boy was Matt Redman. And 10,000 reasons is his expression of Psalm 103. So I think a good way to wind things up here this morning, uh, gentlemen are willing to come and, and let us end by singing 10,000 Reasons and thinking about Psalm 103 and give praise to our Redeemer.